0: Trigger warning, this episode contains topics that may not be appropriate for all listeners.
1: Recording in progress.
0: I'm so sorry. I am technology disabled.
1: I don't even want to talk about what I had to do to get this to look right today because I have my ring light and my bigger tripod that's holding my tablet. And (laughs) to get it to the right level, I couldn't put my phone on the same tripod because then the iPad would be like way up here and I'm using the iPad to record on. And that's, uh, it's a thing. It's a whole thing. Welcome to the party, everybody. Hi. Hi, Erica. You look gorgeous today.
0: Thank you so much. Everyone. We're trying our, our hardest. We're <laughs> trying today.
1: <laughs> it is okay. So beautiful.
0: since we recorded before and now we have to restart, um, trigger warning, trigger warning, trigger warning for, racism horrible crimes death murder rape if you don't want to join us we won't hold it against you because we have five other amazing
1: episodes that you can partake in Mm -hmm. Um, but yes the trigger warning that we play in front of all of our controversial videos is very true for this one um yeah so are we ready
0: i'm ready I don't think <laughs> I'm not judging anything. That's going to do something stupid.
1: So. <laughs> hey, On the plus side, I'm not wearing my normal wireless earbuds. So I can like fuck with them and it's not going to kick me out of the call.
0: Well, I apparently fucked with mine and it kicked us out. So this is part like seven in that effort.
1: Right. So we are talking about um, liberty and justice for all y'all. Right? We're going to start our conversation today with a really tragic, terrible, grotesque story of a 14-year-old by the name of Emmett Till. And his story now is, you know, pretty widely known, Um over the last couple of years it's gotten to be more known and you know they made a, a recently have released a motion picture featuring the the tragic story of Emmett Till oh. but I feel like it is still something that needs to be talked about because a lot absolutely. of absolutely a lot of the themes that took place during Emmett's time are starting to re-emerge and it's terrifying um it's terrifying But um, Emmett Till was born in 1941 in Chicago, which is really scary to me because my grandmother was born in 1942. So if this had not gone down, it's very likely that Emmett Till could still be alive today. And that's terrible. Um, He was the son of a woman by the name of Mammy. I hate calling her that, but that is her name, so we're going to call her that. I just think it's weird for a white man to call a black woman Mammy. I don't know. That could just be me and me trying to be respectful. But her name was Mammy Carthen, and she and Lewis Till gave birth to Emmett in 1941. Him, and Emmett's mother was born in a small delta town of Webb, Mississippi. Lord have mercy, Mississippi. The Delta region encompasses the large multi-county area of the northwestern Mississippi in the watershed of the Yazoo and Mississippi Rivers. I believe they call it Yazoo. That's what I'm going to call it. When Mammy was just two years old, her family moved to Argo, Illinois, which is, a, uh, which is near Chicago, as part of what's called the Great Migration of Rural Black Families. Out of the south and to the north to escape, to escape the violence, lack of opportunity, and unequal treatment under the law. Argo received so many southern migrants that they named the city Little Mississippi.
0: Oh, excuse
1: me, I'm so sorry. This girl, bless you. Carthen's mother's home was often used by other recent migrants as a way station while they were trying to find jobs and housing. So Mammy basically raised Emmett with her mother and with her husband as they, let me say that all over again because I got ahead of myself. Mammy Largely raised Emmett with her mother as she and Lewis um, separated in 1942, after she discovered that he was fucking around with other females. He was not being faithful.
0: Oh Goodness gracious.
1: He later assaulted her, choking her to unconsciousness, to which she responded by throwing scalding hot water at him. Good for her. Reminds me of Medea. Them grits is hot. Good for her. For violent court orders to stay away from Mammy, Louis was or Lewis was forced by a judge in 1943 to choose between jail or enlisting in the United States Army in 1945. Well, I mean, you know, for a black man in the 40s, that would be punishment, I feel, you know, um, tragic. In 1945, a few weeks before his son's fourth birthday, he was court-martialed and executed in Italy for the murder of an Italian woman and the rape of two others. He was an upstanding human being, obviously. Um, At the age of six, Emmett Till contracted polio, which left him with a persistent stutter. Mammy and Emmett moved to Detroit, where she met and married Pink Bradley in 1951. Emmett preferred living in Chicago, so he returned there to live with his grandmother. His mother and stepfather rejoined him later that year. After that marriage dissolved in 1952, Pink Bradley moved back to Detroit. His poor mama just does not have the sense to um sorry, I'm putting Do Not Disturb on. My phone started going crazy. Had the good sense to like get to know a man before she married him, apparently. <clears throat> When his mother got a new job for better money, Emmett happily helped around the house, doing chores and helping his mom keep uh, upkeep the home. He was usually a happy child. He and his cousins and friends pulled pranks on each other. Emmett once took advantage of an extended car ride with his friend, fell asleep and placed his friend's underwear on his head. And they also spent their free time at pickup baseball games. I'm not sure what a pickup baseball game is, but I'm sure it's fun. He was a smart dresser, which I guess means that he dressed very nicely. He was very well-dressed. He was a, a Tennessee dresser? Yeah, that's a Southern. He was he dressed smart in the South. That's dressing nice. He wore his Sunday's best, I guess. But he was often the center of attention among his peers. So how did Emmett find himself in Mississippi to get tragically murdered? To make a long story short, his great uncle came to visit him and his mother, and Emmett decided he wanted to see more of his family. So in 1955, he, his great uncle, and another cousin went back down to Mississippi to visit family. Now, we have to keep in mind how disgusting Mississippi, well, along with the majority of the rest of the South, was in the 1950s. Not that much of it is much better today. People of color did not have the same rights as white people. There were not hate crime protections at the time and being a person of color was dangerous, perhaps, in a lot of ways, more so dangerous than it is today. But that, Erica, is a conversation we're going to have on another episode. Things have changed a lot in the south, but they have not really changed enough. Before Emmett departed for the the deltas of Mississippi, his mother cautioned him that Chicago and Mississippi were two different worlds, and he should know how to behave in front of white folks in the South. He assured her that he understood. Um, Just a quick picture of how dangerous it was for people of color in Mississippi. Statistics on lynchings began to be collected in 1882. Since that time, more than 500 uh, people of color had been killed by extrajudicial violence in the Mississippi alone, and while 3,000 across the South. Most of the incidents that took place between 1876 and 1930, though far less common by the mid-1950s, those racially motivated murders still occurred. So from 1882 to to the 1950s, there were 500 extrajudicial murders in Mississippi alone that were racially motivated. Throughout the South, interracial relationships were prohibited as a means to maintain white supremacy, even the suggestion of sexual contact between black men and white women could carry severe penalties for the black man. A resurgence of the enforcement of such Jim Crow laws was evident following World War II when African American veterans started pressing the equal rights in the South. Racial tensions increased after the United States Supreme Court's, Supreme Court's 1954 decision on Brown versus the Board of Education to end segregation in public education, which it ruled unconstitutional. Many segregationalists believed that the ruling would lead to interracial dating and marriage. Whites strongly resisted the court's ruling when when Virginia County closed all of its public schools to prevent integration altogether. Other jurisdictions simply ignored the ruling. In other ways, whites used stronger measures to keep blacks politically disenfranchised, which they had been since the turn of the century. Segregation in the South was used to constrain blacks forcefully from any semblance of social equality. So that's what... Emmett was walking into when he left Chicago and went back down to Mississippi with his great uncle. <clears throat> and a week before Emmett got there, a black, a black activist named Lamar Smith was shot and killed in front of the county courthouse in Brookhaven for political organizing. Three white suspects were arrested, but they, of course, were soon released. Now, it's it's terrifying to me to even think that that's how it was and people were okay with it. I have a very modern very modern mind I feel but I I can't imagine living in that time with that kind of atmosphere. Now a lot of what caused his murder are rumors. There's not really concrete facts as to what caused him to get murdered with the exception that the rumors angered white people the facts of what took place in bryant's store are still disputed um journalist william huey i guess that's what i'm gonna call his last name h-u-i-e huey do we agree on the pronunciation of huey William Bradford Huey, reported that Till showed the youths outside the picture of a photograph of a white girl in his wallet and bragged that she was his girlfriend. Till's Till's cousin, Curtis Jones, said that the photograph was an integrated class at the school he attended in Chicago. According to Huey and Jones, one or more of the local boys then dared Till to speak to Carolyn Bryant. However, in his 2009 book, uh, Till's cousin, Simeon Wright, who was present at that circumstance, said that those accounts never happened, that he did not have a photo of a white girl, and that no one dared him to flirt with Carolyn. According to Simeon Wright and Wheeler Parker, Till wolf-whistled at Bryant. Wright said, I think... Emmett wanted to get a laugh out of us or something, adding he was always joking around and it was hard to tell when he was being serious. Wright stated that following the whistle, he became immediately alarmed. Well, it scared us half to death, White recalled. You know, we were almost in shock. We couldn't get out of there fast enough because we had never heard of anything like that before. A black boy whistling at a white woman in Mississippi? No. Wright stated that the KKK and, and night writers were a part of our daily lives. <clears throat> Following his disappearance, a newspaper account stated that Till sometimes whistled to alleviate, alleviate his stuttering problem. His speech was sometimes unclear. His mother said that he had a particular difficulty pronouncing the letter B and sounds with the letter B, and he may have whistled to overcome problems asking for bubble gum. She said that to help with his articulation, she taught him how to whistle softly to himself before before pronouncing his words. There were a lot of lies spread by the people responsible for Emmett's brutal murder, specifically Carolyn Bryant, going as far as grabbing as far as him grabbing her wrist, uttering sexual and obscene statements to her, following her to the register and grabbing her waist and uttering more obscene things. Remember when I said that black men and white women there were issues if a black person even thought about talking to a white woman who were getting ready to discuss what some of those um, punishments were Uh. Carolyn denied telling her husband anything out of fear he would assault Emmett well her husband found out anyway and he and a few people allegedly two of them were also black that they were hired by Carolyn's husband found out where Emmett was staying and Uh, arrived armed with guns and flashlights and abducted him at about two o'clock in the morning. They tied him up in the back of this green pickup truck they were driving. They found their way through several small towns and then found a barn and beat and mutilated Emmett before shooting him in the head and tossing him in the river. He was weighed down by a 70-pound fan blade that was tied around his neck with barbed wire. The recountings of the story said that they were just planning to beat him and then throw him in the river to scare him, right? But as they were- They did a little much. Yeah, and as they were beating him, allegedly he kept calling them bastards. Oh, so they beat him more who were responsible and were initially arrested for kidnapping because they did tell the police that they picked him up, but that they promised that they dropped him off back at the store later on that night. So they picked them up on kidnapping. And of course, that didn't stick and they were released. Three days of Emmett being missing, his body was found by two boys while they were fishing. He was so severely beaten and bloated that one of his eyes were no longer located in its eye socket. After he was identified, his body was sent back to his mother in Chicago. She decided to have a public, a very public, open casket funeral. She wanted to demonstrate how substantial anti-black racism was, and there and then, tens of thousands of people attended the funeral and saw that open casket. In September 1955, an all-white jury found Bryant and Milliam not guilty of Till's murder. Protected against double jeopardy, the two men publicly admitted in a 1956 interview with Look magazine that they had tortured and murdered the boy. He, they sold their story of how they did it for four thousand dollars which is the equivalent of about $45,000 today. Till's murder was seen as a catalyst, though, for the next phase of the Civil Rights Movement. In December of 1955, the Montgomery bus boycott began in Alabama and lasted more than a year, resulting eventually in a U.S. Supreme Court ruling that segregated buses were considered unconstitutional. According to historians, events surrounding Till's life and death continue to resonate. An Emmett Till Memorial Commission was established in the early in the early 2000s. The Summer County Courthouse was restored and includes the Emmett Till Interpretive Center. 51 sites in the Mississippi Delta are memora- memorialized as associated with Till. The Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act an American law which makes lynching a federal hate crime, thank God was signed into law on March 29th, 2022 by our current president, Joe Biden. Um, so some things that happened after that, they found an unserved warrant from 1954 for Carolyn Bryant. She was never arrested with. <laughs> and before she died, she came clean about how she lied She blatantly fucking lied on that little boy and had him lynched, beaten, and murdered. Um, But she couldn't remember the details since it was 70 years prior. Um, A judge did find that there was not conclusive enough evidence to actually charge her with anything, and, you know, she died in April of this year. Now, I'm not saying she deserved it, but I'm saying that God's timing is always right.
0: I don't know. I. I bet he could have recalled what happened. Somebody had asked him.
1: I'm willing, to, baby. I'm willing to bet that that would have been seared into his memory. I don't understand how grown men could do that to a child. Let's face it; he was 14, so he was a child.
0: He was a child.
1: And I just I just don't understand. I don't understand.
0: All I know is that if there is a a good place and a bad place, I hope that bad place is real bad to her and her eternity.
1: Mm-hmm. I hope and, she's tied up in a barn being beaten and pistol whipped. Anyway, that's my that's my opinion on the matter with her. Um who did you want to talk about next?
0: So we'll go back in time a little bit from yours for my next one, um, and we'll talk about Joe Arity. Um, August seventeenth, nineteen thirty-six, the Be- uh, Modesto B paper proclaimed: "Heel prints give only clue when girl is slain. Dorothy Drain, fifteen, is found murdered in bed with hatchet. Sister in near death. Uh, sister is near death in Pueblo Hospital, and man believed escaped from institution is killed. Four suspects are held." a lot but that was their flash um so the attack happened uh the night of august 14th 1936 dorothy drain a 15 year old girl was raped and beaten to death in her bed um her 12 year old sister barbara was severely beaten and barely clinging to life when their parents returned home from a dance um she would ultimately survive her injuries though the weapon was determined to be a hatchet. This was actually the second hatchet murder in a month. Um, Within six blocks of the Drain family home, two other attempted attacks were reported to police on Saturday the 15th and Sunday the 16th. Um, They held for questioning a 54-year-old sex offender, Albert Shandeval, 32-year-old ex-con Miles Waterman, 19-year-old David Taylor, and an A.D. Whitman. Miles Waterman was found to have a blood-stained hatchet near his home. Uh, the first murder that had occurred was of 72- year- old Sally Crumpley of Kansas, and she had been visiting at her niece's home. Her niece, a RO uh, McMur- McMurtry, was injured in, now my words aren't working was injured in the attack. And recovered. However, the police did not believe the crimes were connected. So, two separate hatchet attacks. I don't really know what was happening in the 30s, but. Um, a fifth suspect, Joseph qualtery was shot and killed for resisting police officers after they attempted to search him. Um, he was an escaped inmate of the Colorado State Hospital for Insane. Whatever, that was 30s naming things uh but deputy chief lester jordan shot the man in the leg in an alley denver and inglewood police had been working on a theory that qual was connected to the dorothy drain murder qual fingerprints and footprints were collected after his death to compare to the prints from the drain family crime scene
1: for just a second i just want to throw in a little tidbit of fun information i went to college in denver and lived in inglewood and we called it inglehood Engle Hood. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I just wanted to throw that in there.
0: That's okay. That's okay. So the next article was the Fort Collins, Colorado. Say that word.
1: Fort Collins?
0: No, Col- Coloradoan. Colorado, oh,
1: Coloradoan.
0: Okay. It reported Actually, on if you're August. from
1: Colorado, it's more like Calaradian.
0: Calaradian. I could say that easier. Uh, reported on August 17th that the detained men were 43-year-old Miles Waterman, a Eddie Kuklan, 51-year-old Albert Sandoval, 19-year-old David Taylor, and 30-year-old Charles Welch. An additional man was picked up and later released. So already from this, everybody is not getting information right, period. There, who knows what's happening? I don't say 45 minutes after Dorothy's murder and her sister's attack in the same neighborhood, it was reported a man had molested another girl who was able to escape unharmed. In this newspaper, uh, it also reported that Qualteri had pulled a gun on Jordan and shot him in the leg, prompting return fire from Jordan on the ground, killing him instantly. So,
1: period, information is just wrong. Pew, 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 pew. That sounds like a really bad Star Wars like reenactment, or yes. something out of Indiana Jones, where nobody can aim and everybody's getting shot.
0: Yes, that is a good analogy for life. No one can <laughs> aim, and everyone. No, no one can aim, and everyone
1: is getting everybody's shot. getting shot. <laughs>
0: Okay, so then we go to the Livingston Enterprise, printed on August 22nd, that 25-year-old Lee Fernandez was being brought for questioning. He had just been sentenced to Alamosa to serve 10 to 14 years in state penitentiary for the attempted assault of a woman. Police found a sharpened iron bar with a bent handle outside of the bedroom of the 17-year-old high school girl. She was totally fine, though. Um, the bar had been a tool used to, in the attempt to open the girl's bedroom window, but she frightened away the guy with her screams. So, Casper Star Tribune published on August 25th that authorities were virtually clueless in the investigation. I couldn't have picked that up. Could you have picked that up?
1: I'm shocked.
0: Shocked. Shocked and
1: appalled. Bamboozled.
0: A breakthrough occurred August 22nd, though, when police obtained an oral confession of the crimes from 21-year-old Joe Arity. He had been arrested in a local railroad yard um, and he claimed to have killed Dorothy just for meanness
1: Say on August 27th. Oh, time I'm time. sorry. Go ahead. Say that last part one more time. He did it just out oh. of meanness?
0: Just for meanness. That's on August sure on August 27th, it was published that Sheriff Carroll said many details of Arity's verbal confession checked with details of the crime. He added other details did not check out, and he hoped officers would clear them up. Quote, Carroll said Erity described the house, the girls, and various other details, which tallied with details given him by Pueblo officers. <laughs>
1: wow arity also
0: relayed three different home addresses but none of them were found and from that specific article police knew arity had not uh had been confined to a colorado institution for mental defectives that's the word that were the words that were used and that arity could not read or legibly sign his name and that Airdy had been arrested in a railroad yard. On suspicion, he was one of seven prisoners who escaped from a Fort Logan, Colorado guardhouse the week prior. On August 29th, it was reported that Frank Aguilar was an accomplice, uh, an accomplice to the crime. He was arrested at Dorothy Dreen's funeral. A hatchet was found in Aguilar's home. Barbara was also reportedly conscious for the first time since the attack mentioned in that article. Additionally, it was stated that Arity had the mind of a child. Aguilar's arrest occurred while he made inquiries about the case while he mingled with a crowd outside the mortuary. Aguilar denied any connection to the murder at that time. On August 30th, the Gazette published that District Attorney French Taylor said the death penalty would be sought for Aguilar, but life imprisonment would be sought for Arity due to the fact he'd escaped from a State home for mental defectives at Grand Junction. Um, this is from bugspace.com. Joe Arity had an IQ of 46. He reportedly found it difficult to learn and comprehend new information, causing education issues. He struggled to communicate effectively and often, only, and often used only a few words to express himself. At 10 years old, he was sent to the state home and training school for the mentally disabled in Grand Junction, Colorado. He did run away from the facility when he was 21, which is present day in this article. Sheriff Carroll spent eight hours interrogating Arity over two days. It was not recorded. And later he had to rely on his memory to testify since he also made no notes and there were no witnesses.
1: We know how good people's memory are, right? He well, I work memory. in
0: hypnosis, so yes.
1: <laughs> he probably got about 35% of that information accurate in, in his fact. accountants. Yeah. Mm. I love that.
0: So inconsistencies in Arity's statements were that he used a club to beat the girls, but then it was changed to an axe. He could not say where he got the weapon. Carol um, arrested Arity and informed Chief Arthur Grady that he'd done so. Uh, Frank Aguilar was arrested by Chief Grady and was identified by Barbara Drain. He had previously worked with the Drain family on WPA projects and he had been dismissed. Police did find a hatchet head at Aguilar's home that were matched to the wounds inflicted on Dorothy. So WPA projects is Works Progress Administration. It's part of the American Deal Agency um, that was created under Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, to help people to get out of the great depression and the um, wpa did um, construction of public buildings and roads things like that um joe's story was inconsistent and unreliable obviously frank denied knowing joe and denied any involvement in the crime both men were still charged and convicted for the crimes psychiatrists test psychiatrists testified psychiatrist why is that not sounding right anyway testified joe had a mental capacity of a six-year-old
1: put the man on trial Mm
0: -hmm. both aguilar and arity were sentenced to death frank aguilar was executed on august 13th 1937 in colorado uh state penitentiary now moving on to arity warden roy best gifted arity with two train uh toy trains that he played with often. He played with these little toy trains. Um, he was well-liked by prisoners and guards both. He did have supporters fighting for his appeals, but on January 6, 1939, Arity was executed. He gave his toy train to another prisoner, then was led to the gas chamber, to a smaller specially built chair, and a phone book to use as a booster seat because he was such a small framed man. He smiled unaware of what was happening, and he did have a moment of nervousness, but was reassured when Warden Best held his hand. For his last meal, Arity requested ice cream, which he did not finish and asked to be refrigerated so he could eat it later. Um, if He also had no knowledge of what was wait happening. Minute,
1: wait a minute, I'm sorry. He did not get a chance to eat his ice cream, so he asked them to refrigerate it so he could eat it later. Which clean, he ate it. Oh. He did
0: eat it, but he didn't finish it. Right. He at first he saved.
1: Right, because he didn't know what was happening to him. That's because he did the, not
0: know he was going to be. He did not understand the concept of death.
1: Yeah, that he, shows was, he was told
0: he was going to be put to death, but he he did not understand what that meant.
1: Right, and that just goes to further you know conclude his level of intellect comprehension. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Hmm. Um. On January seventh, two thousand eleven, Colorado Governor Bill Ritter granted a full and unconditional po- posthumous post. God, words are so hard today; I'm struggling.
1: Posthumous.
0: Thank you. Pardon to Arity, seventy-two years after his execution.
1: Well, Lottie fucking doll for that.
0: What really, I, I read a lot of different things, and what was a constant point was that they had this man who was identified by the survivor who also had a hatchet that matched the wounds to the deceased victim.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He was picked up outside of the the deceased victim's funeral. But at no point did they ever realize that this man that had an IQ of 46 and the mental capacity of a six-year-old who could not get details accurate, who could not sign his name legibly, who could not read, they had their guy, but they still held on to this other person for what? But deeper than that, Aguilar was executed on August 13th, 1937, and it wasn't until January 6th, 1939 that Arity was. Wow. They had time to to go, oh, we we fucked up. Not even a little, we fucked up big.
1: And it took them 72 years to accept that.
0: 72 years for them to go, oh, you know, we really did. We screwed up. And it's just skin color. Mental comp. Oh. I have forgotten everything I was saying. Hello, sweet baby. Skin color, mental IQ, mental capacity. Did you just yeet the cat?
1: I yeeted him to the bed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, sexual That's identification. Steve's purring, guys.
1: If you can hear purring, it's it's, it's our dark lord
0: oh, he is such a handsome, oh, God, he, he is such a cute cat. But sexual identification, gender gender choice or lack of or whatever, these are not reasons to hurt people. They're not reasons to blame somebody for something. Emmett Till, Joe Arity, and you know what? We're coming up on on these were the these were the ones that in this in this episode they're the ones that are pointed to have done the wrong. Next we're gonna talk about people that things happen to,
1: to them, yeah.
0: And the lack of you know it's just fucked. We're and all two thing, people.
1: The thing that really angers me about Emmett's case specifically is not the f- I mean the fact that racism is a thing angers me. The fact that he was. Beaten and mutilated and you know weighed down in the in the river the delta because he was black angers me. But the thing that is so fucked up about that case is the reasons they used his race to murder him were based on lies. Yeah, blatant lies. He didn't do what he was accused of. Not that what he was accused of warranted death in the first place, even. Carolyn made mention years later what, you know, nothing that boy did caused him to deserve to die like that. You know, she even admitted that it was fucked up. And I think any... And she
0: had the ability at that moment. yeah Oh, yeah absolutely. She could have changed everything.
1: Yeah, and you know, she's trying to clean battered wife and whatever, but ultimately it was the lies that cost this boy his life. You know, Mm -hmm. and... And not even just cost him his life. Caused him so much suffering and, you know, torture. In his death. Were lies. And the other things, you know, both people had, you know, disabilities. His was a speech impediment. And I don't think he was intellectually challenged until anyway. He was just a 14-year-old kid who had a stutter and couldn't say, buh. You know what I mean? So, lies and just utter lack of evidence and it's a different time, so evidence would be harder to come by, I, you know, reasonable evidence. People were hanged as witches because someone else got sick. So, I mean, evidence is a thing, but, like, just the lies and hate, just hate is what those two cases were about, or hate, and there's just no room for that.
0: Well, I'm going to let you take over again, and you can jump into your next account. Yeah.
1: I am really kind of heartbroken i did not hear about this woman's account up until we started doing research for this episode it's because it's, it's, it's modern day like it was yeah. three years ago four years no i'm sorry five years ago i had to i had to count girl i had to count um, all right <laughs> oh, i understand
0: we're, we're getting but, old
1: we're old <laughs> um but miss uh i'm gonna call her tamala Tamala Hartford. Um, passed away on um, November 4th, 2018. Well, that's when her body was discovered in the backyard of the the coming Georgia home where she had been attending a slumber party with other football moms the night before. She was 40 years old and was a mother of five. I don't understand the idea of adult sleep. Ramsey's. We are in the middle of recording, friend. Okay. (laughs)
0: He's,
1: He's in the chair with me.
0: His this little this...
1: elegant tail is behind you. <laughs> is this is a TikTok friend. <laughs> what are you doing? Okay, fine. We're just going to let him be. Um, He's our I'll third
0: have... podcast uh, co-host.
1: <laughs> He's our mascot. Um, <laughs> there we, we go. Is, what are slumber parties for football moms? First of all, I don't really, you know, I didn't realize that slumber parties were a thing. I just, I don't know. Anyway, but the Forsyth County Sheriff Department initially ruled the death an accident, stating that the multiple blunt force injuries were related to um, Hartford fa- likely falling from the balcony due to acute ethanol intoxication. So they're accusing her of being drunk and falling. A second autopsy requested by her family revealed further abrasions to her body. The family's attorney also stated that lack of evidence, types of injuries discovered, and mismatched witness accounts strongly suggested homicide. On February 20th, 2019, Major Joe Perkins of the Forsyth County Sheriff's Office announced that the case would be closed and that there was no evidence of foul play.
0: Right. Okay. Sounds good.
1: Right. Sounds good, right? The relationship between Harford's race and her death has been subject to controversy and debate, and a race based, and adds a race based dimension to her death that has been implied by family in the media. I didn't say this earlier, but uh, Tamala was a Black woman. I she think was she was at- from Jamaica. Let's see. St. Vincent and the Grenadines
0: in 1978. I don't
1: know where that is. I don't
0: know either. Anyway, I, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, hold on. Let's listen.
1: Come here, Ramses. Come here. Come here. Come here. Your, your, your loyal subjects want to see and hear you.
0: Oh, listen to that. We've all been blessed. If you're hearing his prayers, you've been blessed. Oh, my goodness.
1: He's so cute. Okay, I need you to leave me alone. I'm working. I'm working. Go lay down okay anyway so just to face it to say oh, that she, uh caribbean she's from the caribbean
0: yeah country in the caribbean okay okay i'm
1: sorry Go ahead. so she was a black woman at an all-white party yes okay While the official uh, investigation concluded that her death was accidental and not racially motivated, some have argued that her race played a role in the events leading up to her death and that in the investigation and in the investigation that follow, the case did not receive public recognition until two months after her death when one of the witnesses was fired from his county court office job for internally accessing the incident report. The okay. case, mm, The case, along with the hashtag oh the hashtag Tamala Tamala Horsford quickly spread around the Internet, along with the suspicion of foul play in the summer of 2020 the nationwide protest against racism and police brutality sparked by the murder of George Floyd renewed public interest and advocacy of the case. Under the pressure of public outcry, including posts from celebrities such as T.I. and 50 Cent, the Forsyth County Sheriff, requested the case be reopened and investigated by the Georgia Bureau of Investigations. This is the accounting of what happened. Horsford arrived at the summer party at 10 p.m. on November 3rd, 2018. Attendees drank, watched football, and played Cards Against Humanity. He said they have taste. That's a good game. I like that game. There were also three men at the house. According to witnesses, Harsford got up at 2 a.m. to smoke a cigarette on the back porch. The next morning at 7.30 a.m., the homeowner's aunt found Harsford laying face down and motionless under the porch. At 8.59 a.m., Jose Barrera, the homeowner's boyfriend, called 911. In the 911 call, Barrera described Harsford as lying face down and not breathing. She brought attention to a small cut on her wrist, suggesting that they may be self-inflicted. He brought attention to a small cut on her wrist suggesting it may be self-inflicted. Mm-hmm. I just needed to say that again for like specific you know. A woman's voice can also be heard on the call speculating that Hartsford might have fallen from the balcony. The police arrived at 907. The initial autopsy ordered by the Forsyth sheriffs discovered multiple blunt force injuries and high and a high blood alcohol level. Uh, Officials speculated that the latter caused her to fall from the porch and that the injuries were just a result of a 14-foot fall. Harsford's family and friends, however, were not convinced and called for a second independent autopsy. This was then carried out by Georgia Bureau of Investigations. According to the GBI medical examiner's report, Harsford sustained severe injuries to her head, neck, and torso. They discovered cuts on her face, her wrist, her hand, and lower legs, as well as a laceration to the right ventricle of her heart. The GBI toxicology screening found a blood alcohol level of 0.238 and traces of THC and aplazolam, which is an anxiety medication, at the time of her death. Before the results of the autopsy, speculation of foul play had begun to spread online. This was, as I said, prompted two months after her death by Forsyth County County Court firing Barrera, then a court officer for accessing the incident report internally on multiple occasions. Hundreds of people shared the hashtag, questioning different angles of the case and calling for justice. The case was officially closed on February 20, 2019, and ruled an accidental death. Major Joe Perkins, the Forsyth Sheriff's Office, stated that none of the Hartford's injuries aligned with foul play, saying it was a party, they were drinking, she was drinking. Most of the partygoers had gone to bed at that time, and she was on the deck alone. She had interviewed, he had interviewed 30 people, including family, friends, and other partygoers. On June 5th, Ralph E. Fernandez, the Hartford family attorney, wrote a letter to Hartford's husband, Leonard Hartford, claiming that his team's investigation into the details of the case strongly suggested homicide. It said in part, Witness statements are in conflict. A potential subject handled the body as well as evidence prior to law enforcement arriving. Evidence was disposed of and no inquiry followed. The scene was not preserved. He also stated that Hartford's injuries were consistent with those of a physical struggle and that the absence of photos from the initial autopsy prevented a definite conclusion. An Atlanta journalist published the letter a few days later. Hartsford name and case spread across the internet, starting with protesters in Cumming, Georgia, who included her name on the signs alongside the names of Black Americans killed by police in recent years. Brianna Taylor, just to name one of them. A Change.org petition calling for the case to be reopened amassed more than 709,000 signatures as long, uh, alongside signatures like TI and 50 Cent. They also shared posts about the case asking for a second investigation. On June 12, 2020, Forsyth County Sheriff Ron Foreman sent a letter requesting that the case be reopened and investigated by the GBI. He stated that the investigation was best undertaken by an independent law enforcement agency. The GBI agreed to reopen the case on June eighteenth, but did not specify when the investigation would begin. On July twenty eighth, 2021, the GBI concluded their reinvestigation, ultimately deciding not to pursue any criminal charges. That's where we are. And
0: 14 feet isn't that big of a drop, though,
1: is it? Girl, I have some questions. I have some fucking okay. questions. And some of my questions involve just that. Um, how could a person uh, first, the fall, 15 to 20 feet, could it cause not only death, but a dislocated wrist, a broken neck, and lacerations to her heart muscle?
0: But also, she was, okay, to say, to go with what the report said, drunk, high, and on an um, anti-anxiety, okay? Right. Super chill. So, people have survived car accidents, is, car accidents when they were drunk because their body was so lax. Mm -hmm. they just went with the movements right Right. so if she was just falling she wouldn't have you see what i'm asking
1: yeah but even let's let's even take a step back from that thought the i i'm not a doctor nor am i a physicist not a physicist yes a physicist nor am i you know psychic. I don't think a 14-foot fall would cause all that damage. If she had landed on her neck, could it have broken her neck and then she died? Absolutely absolutely but all of those injuries sustained including the lacerations on her heart i don't think would be caused by a fall of 14 feet but let's ignore the fall for just a moment how did a woman with a blood alcohol level appear in control of her faculties number one how did no one know that she was you know that how did no one not know she was that drunk yet managed to fall over a nearly four foot tall railing into the backyard so it's not like
0: why didn't anybody hear it
1: i'm getting to i've got that question too that question was in my brain too how did no one know Mm. but the fact of the matter is she was smoking a cigarette on a porch of a four foot high banister how tall was this woman seven eight feet for her just to casually fall over a four foot banister like that that doesn't make sense to me how could a house full of people some that were asleep less than a half an hour not hear her fall to her death right outside their window it would you would have heard it you would have heard at least a scream before she hit the ground at the bare minimum. why wasn't the scene preserved why wasn't the evidence tested and why weren't potential witnesses interviewed immediately And what really happened when the back door opened just before 2 a.m.? And why was it left open until the next morning? Did nobody notice the open door? And here's my last question about this case. How would the investigation have gone differently if she wasn't the only Black person at that party?
0: Or if, period, she had been white.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I, that, those are my questions. tragic and you know we're not going to get any answers unless somebody fesses up on their own because there's no criminal investigation anymore the the case is closed where's the Long Island medium when you need her you know what I mean let's figure this out I don't know
0: I hope you know we're still within a time frame though that that truth could come out
1: word Word. And justice
0: can be served, but I just don't. I don't believe that she just accidentally suddenly died.
1: I don't believe that she casually fell over a four-foot banister either. Yeah. mm-mm, 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 mm-mm. Do you have any other thoughts on her? On her? No, I don't. Um, As I said earlier, I'm kind of surprised that I didn't hear about it. I mean, it was during the time of, you know, George Floyd, and that was a lot of the media. And it was the time of Breonna Taylor and all the other, you know, issues that were, you know, Black people being killed by the police and whatnot, what have you. And I guess this one just kind of skipped my radar, and I'm not sure why. I don't think it was big news.
0: I think it was like local hmm. to Georgia stuff, and it didn't really go further until like it became like true crime stuff.
1: Right. That's and, fair. Um, that's not fair, but. Well, it's fair that I didn't hear about yeah. it. Although, fun fact, and I'm probably going to get yelled at for saying this, I'm um, thinking back to the Breonna Taylor case. One of the detectives that got arrested for blatantly lying about. The reason for needing that no-knock warrant in the first place was the valedictorian of my senior high class. You're welcome. Oh, (laughs) she was the one voted most likely to succeed. Hmm. She's currently in prison. She's not
0: succeeding very well.
1: Just wanted to throw that out there. Anyway, (laughs) we have another conversation to have about a very tragic death and another
0: tragedy. So, still in Georgia but we're traveling to Valdosta. Let's see how far, you said coming Georgia? Let's see how far between the two they are.
1: Four hours.
0: So we're going four hours away. On January 10th, 2013 in Valdosta, Georgia, 17 year old Kendrick Johnson's parents reported him missing. After school, he was expected to attend a basketball game, but hours went by and his mother decided to drive by the school after calling him over and over and over on his phone and he didn't answer. On January 11th, his mother went to the school and learned that her son had not attended some of his classes from the day before and that he had missed classes that had happened during the first of the day. Um, A call came into the school office notifying administration that Uh, a body had been discovered in a vertical rolled up mat so like you know wrestling mats something like that
1: yes I remember hearing about this case and it it still bothers me like they just found him casually rolled up in some mats
0: yeah yeah so uh, he was identified as Kendrick Johnson and this occurred at Lowndes High School Um, the rolled up mat was stored behind some bleachers. Apparently, this is a very small gym, though. There were a couple of gymnasiums, but this was this was one of them, and it was a very small one. Um, he was head down in the vertical stack. So like this, but upside down. Um, the morning of the 11th, a group of students had decided to climb on top of the padded mess that were stacked up, and apparently there were several. Uh, They were all rolled up vertically and stored behind the bleachers. They noticed a pair of socks sticking out of the mat and soon discovered that there was a body inside. And there was, hey, are you stuck? Do you need help? You know, tried to be communication. Um, A teacher pulled the mats down into a horizontal position and they realized that it was a deceased body. Um, what is thought to have happened is that Johnson reached inside the rolled up mat to grab a pair of shoes or a shoe that was in the bottom. Um, a classmate stated that he had shared a pair of Adidas shoes with Johnson and that after gym class, Johnson would go up to the mats, jump up and toss the shoes inside in the middle of the hole. Um, notably though, the shoes had no blood on or in them, though, Rather, it. There was only one shoe. Though the floor around the shoe did. So, don't know logistics on that, but.
1: It's that new it, material they're making out of shoes that it's impervious to everything apparently. by evidence.
0: His own shoes, though, were in the mat with him, though they were not on his feet. He also had a pair of headphones in one hand. And um, he had been bleeding from his eyes, nose, and mouth, and there was dried blood on his arms, chest, and face. Now, I'm going to take a moment and pause, because when I think about getting shoes out of a mat, if you knew that there were shoes in there, how would you go about getting the shoes?
1: Um, Not with headphones in my hand, first of all. Okay. Um, and I would I'm a I'm a hefty I'm top heavy, as they Mm -hmm. say. I know that the camera angle makes it look like I'm very thin and proper um, because you can't see below my neck. But I am a hefty man and I have support when I bend over anyway. So there is no way upon God's green earth that I would stick my head in a hole without a handhold on something else because I would be that moment that would fall into something and get stuck, and I'm claustrophobic, that would not be a thing. But typically, for something like a shoe, I would use a pole or something to insert into said shoe to bring it to my level as so that my lazy ass doesn't have to bend over and pick it up in the first place.
0: <clears throat> or do you think maybe you would try to shimmy the mat out of the way?
1: See, I thought you said that it went into the mats, cir- the, the rolled-up mat circle,
0: So I did, and they do, but in the description of the way he was found, Mm -hmm. he was in the tube. His feet were in the tube, so that was way down in the bottom of the tube, and if he had been visually aware of that shoe being at the bottom of the
1: tube, I would have probably knocked that big bitch over. Mm -hmm. Right, Mm -hmm. so
0: that's my initial, that doesn't make sense.
1: But the also thing that doesn't make sense to me, and it could just be because I don't have the mind of a teenager anymore, and I can think more critically, why would he throw his shoes all the way over there in the first place? Like, why were they using that particular type of receptacle to hold said shoes in the first place? Well, I can answer that. Okay. they
0: Apparently, you could rent a locker. But it was it was for a fee, and they didn't want to pay the fee. So the sharing of the shoe was like, do what
1: that school didn't provide lockers to their students.
0: Not for the gym lockers. Apparently, you had to pay for them.
1: That school had gym lockers. Yeah, my school like didn't like you have could gym rent room.
0: them. But <laughs> so it was it was like a secret thing that they were doing sharing this parachute.
1: Oh. Yeah. oh, okay, so it,
0: okay. I get the. the the, why they would do that but I don't understand like even as even as a teenager I don't think that I would have jumped into a a tube
1: yeah no that's a hard no for me because I've been big my whole life so there would have been no no jumping in tubes for me either No, Mm -mm. no.
0: So moving on the initial report stated that there appeared to be no signs of blunt force trauma On his face or body, George Bureau of Investigation, or GBI, ruled his death an accidental case of positional asphyxia. The initial autopsy confirmed there were no signs of blunt force trauma and that Johnson's drug talk screenings were negative. It was decided that he had crawled into the vertical mat to retrieve a shoe and got stuck in a position in which he just could not breathe and died. Bless you.
1: Thank you. Um... could still hear that and my mic was muted that's no but i watched you oh you can still see me they can't see me unless i'm speaking that's what Mm it is i sneezed i sure did um so i think that's plausible you know positional asphyxiation oh Um, yes
0: it makes sense mm -hmm. but again in a story where that is the reason being told that someone died that makes sense but in the real world of practical execution of movements and body functions <laughs> right again who the fuck is going to do that who's going to crawl into a mat? who's going to right but gonna, ex- especially considering it was not the end it. of the day if he had classes afterwards he had to get to it was a known function of his just to jump and toss the shoes in there or to retrieve the shoes it would have had to be in a timely manner and crawling into a tube is not a timely manner thing
1: and i presume there were other classes in that gym that day and no one would have heard him asking there was for a help.
0: basketball in that gym
1: um basketball have- game yeah, they would have been able to hear him scream before the game got started, and I know me, I would have been ho- I would have been hollering, hollering. Yeah. Now, I also want to touch back on what you said earlier about how they, the condition they found the body in. Now, when the body starts to decompose right you're going to to leak from orifices like your nose your eyes your mouth your ears Um, so that explains why he was bleeding from the eyes the nose and the mouth um but i want to touch on the dried blood on his shirt and on his arms because if he is laying in the tube head down the blood would not go up his shirt unless his entire shirt was soaked with blood and so i want to do we get to discuss why that is or did they find out why there was blood on his shirt
0: We don't necessarily touch on that, but there are more, there's more um, examinations to come. Let's go. Okay. Um, On June 15th, 2013, the family hired William R. Anderson with Forensic Dimensions in Florida to provide, you know what, hold on, back up, back up. Even if you did get in that tube, if you realized that you were suddenly stuck, what do you do?
1: Wiggle. I'm wiggling. I'm hollering. I am throwing a fucking fit is what's happening in that tube.
0: And all that is, is a mat that's rolled up. It's not, it's not contained. It's just a freestanding mat. He would have tipped that sucker over. Hello. Okay. Anyway, moving forward Um, to perform a second autopsy, which uh, concluded that Johnson had died from inflicted injuries of blunt force trauma to the right neck including the right mandible and soft tissues, including the carotid body. In other words, blunt force trauma to the right of the neck, which caused a heart attack.
1: And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it.
0: It was also found that Johnson's body was stuffed with newspapers. So the second autopsy occurred after he had had his funeral service, so GBI did their okay. investigation, their autopsy, and then they turned that body over to the funeral home. Right. And the second as, autopsy, as, as what happened?
1: Okay. Okay. And they, they stuffed his his cavity with newspapers.
0: Yes. Um. Here's why.
1: Any of my mortician friends utilize newspapers in the cavity stuffing process when they embalm the body?
0: They probably do not. The funeral home stated that they had never received Johnson's internal organs from the FBI or GBI uh, from their coroner. The organs were said to be destroyed through natural process and discarded by the prosecutor before the body was sent to the Valdosta funeral home. However, that is not proper procedure. It's not good procedure. And the funeral home, I believe, was uh, fined for the newspaper stuffing.
1: Um, Yes um on october 31st before you get before you get get anything further with that i have a lot of friends in the death business right and it's something that i researched possibly getting into for a long time until i realized i can't do smells so that is not the business for me right um so when the autopsy happens at the coroner's office they don't really so much as put the body back together but what they typically do is take your organs in a bag put it in your cavity and sew you up right and then it's. And if they don't do that, they at least have your organs in a bag, and they're provided to the with funeral them. home. Mm-hmm. Yes, and the funeral home can do a couple of things. They can either embalm the body intact, and then they can put a solution on the organs, or they can just stuff the organs back in the body, spray that chemical on it, and then embalm the rest of the body. But very typically, the organs and the body are returned with the exception of what was used as evidence so for like slides or microscopic use or what have you it's all returned with the body to the funeral that's exactly
0: right Mm -hmm.
1: what were they covering up
0: (sighs) on october 31st 2013 the u.s attorney for middle district of georgia announced it would open a formal review on johnson's death However, on June 20th, 2016, the Department of Justice released that they would not be filing any criminal charges related to his death. The Johnson family filed a $100 million civil lawsuit against 38 individuals stating the death was a murder and a cover-up. It was stated two students involved were the sons of an FBI agent. Here
1: we are, ladies and gentlemen, the cover-up.
0: That lawsuit was subsequently withdrawn though and Georgia Judge Richard Porter ordered the Johnsons and their attorney to pay more than $292,000 in legal fees to the defendants accusing them of fabricating evidence to support their claims. On February 9th, 2018, a witness gave their testimony stating that an acquaintance confessed that another person killed Johnson. The person struck Kendrick Johnson in the neck with a 45-pound weight or dumbbell. The affidavit went on to say say that an agent in some way facilitated the editing of the high school's surveillance video by corrupting or deleting some one hour and 25 minutes of the original recording. On June 22, 2018, Johnson's body was exhumed for a third autopsy. Blunt force trauma was found to Johnson's right chest. The Johnson family petitioned the case be reopened in October 2019 and in March 2021 the court granted the request. There is footage of him walking into the gym.
1: And then it just nothing and then it just stops. And I wonder is that surveillance footage time stamped? Can they clearly see that an hour and 20 minutes just blinked? see that's just that's fucked up is what it is Mm-mm.
0: and some people may look at the hundred million dollar lawsuit and think oh they're just out to get money so what
1: hello that's I would their be. baby that is Absolutely. their fucking child and you, there's no money that's going to bring him back and there's no money that's going Absolutely. to fill in, fill in the hole that he left in people's lives but you better believe i would rather be crying in my fucking mercedes than i do in my toyota corolla thank you
0: simple as that. And that is what would you, what, what financial amount would you put on someone you love? Who cares? You're right. It doesn't bring them back. It 100% will never bring them back. And who cares if the amount is, is that?
1: Right, but if you know they're not going to receive criminal charges, I'm going to get them where I can. you know what I mean I'm going to punish them how I can. if the law's not going to do it, I'm going to affect their I'm going to affect their finances. Thank you
0: So I had to keep that sort of abridged because mm-hmm. I'm not looking to get sued, but also it's so recent, just like just like Tamil is, it's such a recent case that there is still possible. Possibility for for justice to be served. Right. There's there's time for it, and it and could that's, that's happen. Investigation into
1: Kendrick is still it. ongoing, right? They're still do it. They're still pursuing that third um, investigation.
0: On this one, yes, um, they requested that it be reopened in October 2019, and in 2021 March, they said yes, they would. So it's open.
1: It's been two years that it's been reopened. Well you know, I hope they find closure and I hope they get justice. And, you know, may all four of those people we spoke about rest in peace. Like that's, it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Senseless, hateful. I've
0: said this in other things too, but like, what good does it do? What in in believing the lies and murdering a child in believing in believing your own warped sense of justice that a man with a mental disability is is less life just to close your case and believing that a woman's skin color and that she might have consumed alcohol or you know pot or anything you know what what good does it do that that now her death is is this unsolved thing like right. if you see th- this child and then the the video is corrupted or whatever after he is found dead like what good does all of this do to the to 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 the people that are not dead right. like covering up the lie so I think when it comes down to like, if, if it was children of an agent, right. You, your love for your child in the thought that it's equal to the love of a mother for her child, who's been murdered. Do you, do you then weigh that the love of your child is worth more than the love of the mother whose child doesn't have justice?
1: People are inherently selfish, I feel, and there are a big majority of people that would say that, that would say that their baby is more important than somebody else's baby, absolutely, regardless of the um, magnitude of what that person did to the other, people are selfish, and, you know, a lot of times dishonest, and my parents, I know for a fact, if I had done something, I was going to jail. Mm-hmm. And I told my mom, my mom absolutely would t- return my ass in, absolutely, because I didn't come from a selfish family. You know what I mean? So I wasn't raised with that kind of mentality. But I am, I am certain there are that evil exists, and these people are selfish and they're evil. And if it doesn't benefit them, they're not going to bother. And turning their children in would not benefit them. Yeah, and potentially look bad upon them because they're the children of an FBI agent or a GBI agent, rather. Um, It would look bad on them. So absolutely, they would put their child before the, the one that passed away.
0: The truth always comes out one way or the other.
1: Eventually, yes. Eventually.
0: And it's... There's still time, you know? There's still... There's still room for the possibility, but one day somebody's gonna slip up and whether you want it or not, that truth is gonna it's gonna get found out. Absolutely. I just hope that, that the people that that carry the weight of the truth, I hope it is worth them that the journey of the struggle.
1: And I hope that every day they are reminded of the evil they committed upon this earth and that they get to live with that pain every day, all day, and twice on Sundays. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Smash that like button, hit that follow.
0: Thanks for joining us. We love y'all sweet pumpkins. Stay safe and remember
1: to fix your mouth.